I was struggling with email so much like you and I've used every single tool you can imagine. I'm sure they are amazing for product marketers and product managers, but as an engineer, it doesn't relate to my needs, the things that I care. So we started playing with this idea of like, what would it look like to build the Stripe of email or the Vercel of email, like a next generation solution to a very old problem. Hello, welcome to the DevTools FM podcast. This is a podcast about developer tools and the people who make them. I'm Andrew, and this is my co-host, Justin. Hey, everyone. Uh, we're really excited to have Zeno on. Uh, so before we give your introduction, I just want to say that I used the Dracula theme for a long time, and I did not know that you made it. And I'm so excited because it was so cool. It was one of those, just like, there's themes for everything. It's so good. So good. So before we uh, dig in to talk about what you're doing now with Recent, could you tell, tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm Zeno. I am based in San Francisco. I moved here last year. Uh, but before that, I was in LA. And before that, I was in Brazil when, where I grew up. Uh, I have a wife. I have a two-year-old daughter. And I absolutely love coding. I absolutely love open source. That's just something that I, I can't help myself, but do that. You know, like I love dev tools. I love building things for developers. Uh, and I love sharing about those two things as well. Like for me, it's all about building and sharing, building and sharing. Uh, so yeah, that's me. Yeah. So I was, I was going through the Dracula website and it, it alludes to like the the start of Dracula, like it was like 10 years ago. There seems to be a little bit of a story behind it. So would you mind telling us that us that story? And then after that, uh, Dracula is actually like a paid theme too. And you don't see many paid themes like that. So just like going into the decision to like, why did you do that and how it's gone? Yeah, no, the the story of, uh, of Dracula is absolutely insane. Uh, th this is one where for a long time, I, I didn't tell that story because I kind of felt like ashamed in a way. Uh, but I remember I was traveling. I was in Germany and then um, I was going to Spain right after. And I've never been to Germany and I've never been to Spain. My first time like traveling there. Uh, I don't speak Spanish at all. Uh, but when I was in the flight um, going to Madrid, I started to feel like this pain I was so, and I was alone. There's nobody traveling with me. And I started to feel like so much pain that I, I, I was like, I, I need help. Like, uh, I think I'm going to die. I don't know what's happening. Like, there's just so much pain. And I called the flight attendant and then she came and then talked to me and they're like, okay, we're going to do, uh, we're going to land. Uh, and then they, they landed in Madrid. I was the first one to leave the air the the airplane. They took me on an ambulance to the hospital. Wild, right? Like super crazy. But when I got to the hospital, I started to feel a little bit better. And I'm like, okay, I think I'm fine. I think they're just going to release me now. Turns out I spent three weeks in that hospital, which was absolutely insane, right? Imagine you're traveling to give a talk at a conference. The conference was like two days later. I had to cancel everything, right? And... What was interesting about that uh, episode is that, you know, on the second or third day, I already called my coworkers, like there was an office in Madrid and I, I 
called him and said, hey, can you bring my computer? Because, you know, like they had to bring my luggage separately from me, just like a, a mess. And they brought my computer and I was like, you know, I'm feeling a little bit better. My blood test is still pretty bad. Um, but hey, I can do stuff on my computer. And I also need to tell my mom that I'm in a hospital in a, in a foreign country, right? Uh, so I get my computer and then I'm fine. And I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to code a little bit. I don't have anything to do here. Really just like just to, and it was really good, right? To take my mind off that super bad experience, being there alone, you know, um, and everything. So that was going well until it didn't one day i left my room for a split second just to get some water like there was a corridor i got some water when i got back i'm like oh where's my computer and i'm looking around oh i thought i left here like where is it and i'm like oh someone stole my computer it took me like a minute to just realize that like it's gone um and i was so sad it was like the worst moment of my life probably because it was that whole thing that whole experience was like so bad and i felt like crushed i started crying a lot and like that was the the way i could talk to my family you know back home so once again like i i, I was able to talk to the nurse they called uh the company i used to work at and then my co-workers once again they brought me a new computer to the hospital and i'm like okay that now uh yeah let me yeah, you know, distract myself again. Um, and then as any developer, and I'm sure you can relate to that feeling, when you get a new computer, there's that moment where you're like, okay, let's get this started. I have all my dot files. I have like all, all my little shortcuts. I need my trackpad speed to be at this level. You know, like you have all these bad peeves and just preferences that you can't uh, get away with. Like you need to configure that. So I remember just popping up my iTerm and thinking, okay, let me put a theme here. And then popping up my Sublime text back then. And then uh, just using something there too. And I just felt this thing of like, oh, wow, I wish I had the same theme across all my apps. Uh, and I looked around, there are a few things, themes already doing something like that. Mm -hmm. It's one that is like brownish, very old theme. And then I'm like, okay, I think I think I would just do a theme. I've never done a theme in my life. I'm not a designer. I don't know anything about colors, but let me put something together that looks fine for me. So I did that for iTerm, ZSH, Sublime, and then I made it open source, and then people started contributing. Ten years later, here we are. Dracula has six million users only on VS Code which wow. is absolutely insane, right? It's just like, just so crazy. Uh, and right now, actually, let me put those numbers. Let me check that out. There are oh, 366 apps that support Dracula. So it's just amazing to see the power of open source, the power of a small idea that started in a hospital <laughs> then becoming this thing. There's even a Wikipedia page about Dracula. That's how big it is now. Oh, wow. uh, so I'm just like really shocked by the power of open source and the power of consistency too. You know, like whatever you do, if you like, there were many years 
years that I didn't push a single commit to Dracula. And then there were years that I was more active. Um, but I, I never really stopped. Uh, I've never said like, you know what? I think I'm just going to drop. I just kept going. And, and it's so nice to see like Dracula being one of these themes where whenever, wh whatever I go, like when I say, oh, I'm the founder of Recent, people are like, oh yeah, cool. I'm like, oh yeah, I also created Dracula. People are like, oh, you're the creator of Dracula? No way. Like I used this, a, you know, they, they start telling you story. So it's, I know that doesn't matter what I do in life. Dracula will always be the thing that, you know, uh, that I created. So it's pretty cool. Well, that's the meme, right? You post some, some code on Twitter and then everybody's just like, oh, what's the theme? So it's <laughs> same thing about you, with your life. <laughs> you, you said you used Dracula, right, Justin? When was the first time you, you stumbled upon it? Like, how was it? It was, it's been a while. It's been a while uh, because I went through, I think maybe the theme you were talking, well, no, maybe not. There's a theme called Solarized, which had like a kind of a dark turquoise and they had a brown version, I guess. Uh, so I, I tried Solarized for a while. I tried Nord, which is another theme that like was across a few things. And then Dracula was one. And and honestly, the, the, the great thing about Dracula has always been the coverage. It's like, like it got a lot of coverage really quickly. Yes. And, and just setting up that infrastructure, I feel like there's something tricky about building that v1 of any open source project and then if you're lucky enough for people to care about what you're doing and start contributing then how do you make it so it's easy to contribute and uh, that was a very interesting challenge and then also how do you sustain it for 10 yeah. years that that was your question right like oh there's a paid version of dracula and um this came out because one i felt like man, I really want to continue doing this thing. Like, I love this theme and community. I want to do it for the next 10 years. So how can I set it up in a way where that can happen, right? And I could ask for donations. I could put ad spots on the website. But those are not the things that I feel like are sustainable. So how do I add value? That was my thing. Like, there's this thing. How can I, I, I build like a pro version? And that was my my original thought process. And this was during a time where I wanted to learn more about sales. Uh, I was at a executive role at another company and we were doing like selling stuff to McDonald's and Vodafone and uh, like all these big companies. I'm like, oh, this is a gap. Like as a developer, I wasn't trained in sales. Uh, so let me learn it. And the way I approached this problem was exactly like I approach anything through side projects. I absolutely love side projects. I feel like they are this canvas where you can explore different things without uh, any constraints, right? So I'm like, let me get Dracula the way it is and let me try to build a pro version. So this was during um, those dark times of uh, COVID and, and everything. And it was such an amazing experience building that and thinking about how, packaging, thinking about uh, pricing and you know we charge like 79 bucks like and i'm still amazed by the fact that people buy these six colors you know like that's what they're buying like a feed like this combo of colors but it's consistent across all, all devices now like for this one i'm like okay now i need to learn about color theory if i'm really going to do this right uh in composition and contrast 
So that was such an interesting journey to go through. And I think by now, Dracula sold more than 300 and something thousand dollars, uh, which is something that is completely unbelievable for me, like that a side project like that uh, was able to generate that much interest uh, from folks, really, like, it's really cool. Yeah, it's amazing. It's a great story, too. Yeah, I always tell, like, li literally anybody that's trying to get into program, just, like, do as many side projects as you can. Like, learn as much, fail as much as you can. If you don't go through those failures, you're, you're not going to grow. And, like, even this podcast is an example of kind of, like, the similar story to yours. Like, I didn't know much about marketing. I didn't know much about social media or video editing. But in through this podcast, this, this side project, essentially, I've really grown those skills. And it's all just about taking that step. It's time to thank our sponsors for this episode. This week's episode is sponsored by CodeCrafters. CodeCrafters makes programming challenges for experienced software engineers. If you're looking for a weekend project that takes you to the edge of your programming abilities, you have to check them out. They've got a bunch of different really hard challenges. And when I say challenges, I don't mean something like leak code. I don't mean something that's like inapplicable or just like a math problem you did from college. With Code Crafters, you get to build your own versions of modern tools. They have courses such as build your own BitTorrent, build your own Git, build your own Docker, and so on. You can go through the challenges in most popular programming languages, including Rust, Go, and JavaScript. If you ask me, this is a really fun way to expand your knowledge of our common tools. This weekend, I started out with their build your own Git challenge, and it's, it's a complicated beast to tell you the least. But as I've gone through it, I've learned a bunch of cool things. Like when Git was first started, it wasn't what we view it as today. All the commands you probably use are porcelain commands. The porcelain commands are built on those plumbing commands. Originally, Git was only supposed to be a toolkit that you could use to build your own version control system before it actually morphed into its own version control system. Another thing that surprised me about Git is that it's just a content addressable store of code. That reminds me of our conversation with the creators of Unison Lang. It's interesting to see how these ideas, such as content addressable code, have percolated throughout the ecosystem. And besides the content, even the user experience is targeted towards experienced software developers. For example, instead of trying to make you use a custom in-browser experience where you don't have access to all the tools you love, CodeCrafters lets you build locally using your own IDE and terminal. One cool part about this is we're building really complex things and sometimes we need help. Luckily, Copilot is right there in my editor and has been helping me pass some of the things that I don't have as much experience with, such as using the Node Crypto Library or Zlib. Simply git push when you're done writing code and CodeCrafters does the rest. They'll run tests for you and you don't even have to run those tests locally. So really, I'm just force pushing to a branch seeing if my tests pass. To try out CodeCrafters yourself, visit codecrafters.io slash devtools FM. There you'll get a 40% discount and we'll get a little bit of the cut too, so you'll be supporting the podcast. Are you tired of hearing these ads? Become a member on one of our various channels where you can get ad-free episodes. Currently, we support memberships on platforms such as Patreon, Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. If you want to find another way to support the podcast, head over to shop.devtools.fm. There you'll be able to see all the coolest merch that we've come out with recently. And in the coming weeks, I plan to release a bunch of really fun tees. And if you want DevTools FM in your inbox, head over to mail.devtools.fm. And with that, let's get back to the episode. Uh, but speaking about open source and kind of like morphing it into a business, uh, let's change topics and start talking about React Email. Uh, so React Email is kind of like 
from what I understand, like the Nexus, the starting of Resend. So before we move on to Resend, let's talk about a little bit about what React Email is and what about emails are hard to do in the modern era or what React Email is making better about them. Yeah, no, it's super interesting. And it's funny how there are all these things that happen in your career early on. And then much later in life, you're able to connect the dots in terms of like how you're going to approach building something new. That was the case for us when I was struggling with email so much like you and I've used every single tool you can imagine. MailChimp, SendGrid and uh, Postmark, like all of those guys. And I felt like, wow, all of these tools are here for a long time, like 10 plus years. And they are like the, the leaders of this market. But I don't feel like none of them were built for me as an engineer. They... I'm sure they are amazing for product marketers and product managers, but as an engineer, it doesn't relate to my needs, the things that I care. So we started playing with this idea of like, what would it look like to build the Stripe of email or the Vercel of email, like a next generation solution to a very old problem. And we were building it and it was fun. We we're like, oh, wow, maybe there's something here. Like, this looks interesting. It was a side project. This was not like this grand vision of creating a company and raising money. It was just like, let's play around. But then it came to this point where we we're like, okay, we have something that works. Uh, but we're just going to come out of nowhere and say, hey, here's a solution for email. Like, And I very much believe in storytelling and the power of telling a story that you know, here's a hero. Here is the, the 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 that point where things turn around, and here's how uh, we emerge from that uh, from that thing, from that challenge. And when we came about recent, we're like, oh, so what if we? And we were learning this as we're talking to folks, right? It's, we're talking to all of these people to learn more about how we build the email platform. But in reality, what they were saying was, man. I hate building emails. It sucks. Like I have to, like whenever the designer gives me the, that beautiful Figma file and I try to convert that to a real email, it's it feels like 1995 where I cannot do rounded corners on Outlook. And when I try to align things on a center on Yahoo Mail, I need to use table elements. So it's... I'm like, wow, like this is so bad. And if I'm trying to style things, there are all these like proprietary rules that I need to use. It's just like a mess. And I felt that way when I started with web development. I needed to do almost like a different website for Firefox and uh, IE6 and uh, all these browsers, right? So I'm like, I can't believe no one solved this problem. It's unbelievable. And we have like so many amazing tools today. I absolutely love React. I love JSX. I love having types with TypeScript. Uh, and I hate getting an email that says, hey, space, comma, you know, like I know there was like something missing there. And I love Tailwind. I absolutely love building websites with Tailwind. So then we, we went on this journey and I was working at WorkOS back then, uh, along with my co-founder now at recent, uh, Boo. And we were like playing around with this idea. Let's like, if there was a radix for email, uh, like this set of building blocks 
and you just want to have a button that works the same on Superhuman and Hey and uh, Yahoo Mail and Gmail and Outlook, here it is. Here are the primitives. So we started building and we're like, okay, this is looking nice. Share it with a few friends. And then we're like, oh yeah, let's buy this react.email domain. And then, okay, let's make it uh, open source. And with everything that I do, I think about the whole package. It's not only about the source code. The source code is the beginning of the story. And that's where I think people get it wrong with open source. They push the code and they're like, okay, my job is done. That couldn't be, you know, farther from the truth. Like, no, like your job starts now. Like you get, you need a very good readme. You need a very good website. You need a very good docs. Uh, if you want adoption, if you're just like, I'm, I'm pushing and, and that's all like, okay, you're, that's fine. But if you want to build something that is going to be meaningful, not only for you, but for others, there's this whole f- other thing that, that you need to do. So that's that was React Email. So we launched React Email in December uh, 2022. And then in January 2023, that's when we announced Resend. That's a great story. And I love how like you have this consistent thing of like, oh, well, I'm working on this problem. It's like, oh, I want it to be better. And then it like turns into mm-hmm. something. And like you're talking about lacking storytelling. It's just like you're, you're sort of living these stories. I find the the idea of React email so fascinating. I, I in a, a previous life, I did a lot of growth uh, mm-hmm. engineering and had to do you know stuff to generate emails. And at the time, I think I was using MJML, which is like a templating language for emails, mm-hmm. and this the only thing that I knew of. Uh, I think this was used a little bit in the Ruby world for a while, and it sort of was trying to do the same sort of thing of like, here's some limited subset of tags that you can use to build something. But of course, it's like more of a, a markup language. So how does uh, how does React email different, like differ? What yeah. what would draw people to it? I mean, besides obviously the fact that it's written in React. No, it's, it's funny because uh, as we were navigating this problem, MJML would come up uh, very often. Uh, and then I'm like, oh, people are talking about this thing. I, I've personally never used it, but let me check it out. And then I went there. I'm like, okay, this is pretty solid. There's actually a lot of components. There's a lot of adoption. But it felt like this was, again, like almost like everything that I've seen in the email world, it felt like this was built in 2010. And I could see those patterns. I could see that, oh, this readme looks very outdated. Oh, they're not as many commits as it used to, to be, as it used to have. And then I go to the docs. I'm like, mm, I don't really like this docs. And then I looked at the actual thing, right? Okay, so this is a new markup language I need to learn. I don't know if I like that. I actually prefer to use whatever I, I like using. In this case, uh, I know how to do a loop using map on React, right? When I'm, when I'm doing uh, a list, you know, like I already have that knowledge. I don't need to learn how to do a loop in MJML or like a tag that is only made for MJML. It felt like if I had the primitives in a language that I already know, and if the styling could come with tools that I already know, then that felt more natural. So the way we approach it was, this is going to be our Next.js, right? There's Next.js and there's Vercel. React email is going to be our, ne- our Next.js. Recent is going to be our Vercel. Um, 
And we use that to, you know, just establish ourselves as experts in that world. I found this notion doc very, it's an old one, like from the first days that we were like thinking about this idea. And there's only like three bullet points there. The first one is launch an open source project around email. The second one is establish ourselves as experts in the email space, launch a SaaS to support email sending. So the story was around that, like, and, and it follows the journey of you sending an email. You first need to build a template. Now you have the template using MGML or pure HTML or React. It doesn't really matter. We support all of them. But after you have the template, you need a way to send it. Oh, here's a transportation layer. Now you can send it. And it has logs. It has observability. It has everything that you would expect from a modern uh, API tool, from a modern dev tool. So, yeah, it was very interesting Super challenging to do both at the same time with a very small team. We're still only six people, so it's extremely difficult. Uh, but yeah, we we love it, so we, we keep pushing it and, and keep trying to make it better. Nice, nice. That's awesome. So uh, email's pretty old at this point. Like it was created a very long time ago, and <laughs> like. The fact that it even supports HTML is kind of crazy. Like I looked up, I, I had to go ask uh, my friendly chat bot, uh, hey, did email always support HTML? And it was actually included in around like the mid 90s. So uh, I feel like it's frozen in time though, probably. I bet like it was added to email clients and then they were just like, okay, it, it kind of works now. So like given that we're in the year 2024 and you've spent uh, the better part of the last few years thinking about this problem, what are some features that you wish like email clients would build into them today to make them more modern? Wow, that's a good one. Um, and you're totally right. Like uh, recently we we got the Golden Kitty Award in the developer tools section and they, the other top three uh, players that were competing with us were all AI tools. And it felt, it feels like, that's the way to go. If you want to build a new product today, you've got to follow the hype. You've got to follow the trend. Uh, and it's very much what we haven't done. We, we got a very old problem with very established players, but we are rethinking from a different angle. And I feel like there's something powerful um, about that. You know, As folks are trying to come up with their own side projects, with their own ideas, uh, for a long time, I felt that way, that if you wanted to be a creator, an entrepreneur, there was this aha moment of something that never existed. And it, it's so brilliant. It's so new. But, you know, I don't feel like that's the case at all. Uh, now that I've done this, it's like, no, just get a problem that you really care and try to solve it 100 times better. Because if, you, if your product is like two times or three times better, it's not enough for folks to migrate, especially if it's like ingraining the infrastructure. There are all these dependencies, multiple teams that use these tools. So you've got to approach it from a from a different angle. But wow, like I have a, a big wish list of uh, things that uh, I, I hoped Emo would have done better. One is just in terms of interaction. There's no interaction with email at all. If you think about it, there's not even hover effects, right? Like there's a button you try to just, I just want to see like a transition, like a, 
a point three second easy in out uh, of opacity. Like no, like you don't have that. So small things like that. I I don't necessarily want crazy animations and crazy things happening on my email. I'm actually happy with the fact that it's mainly content and uh, with specific boundaries. But I also feel like there is a lot of room for for better experiences. What I really hate is when I get an email and the purpose of that email is to take me outside to their own website. Like, uh, And that's probably like a product marketer that needs to change this one metric. So they're like, oh, we got to use email as a hook. That That happens the same on Twitter or X for me. Like I much rather like read the whole thing there than going outside and, and consuming. And there's been some changes to allow more interactive emails, but still not the, the best thing in the world. But light mode and dark mode are still a pain as well. And just like interoperability in general, I wish I could build, I wish I could use a regular button tag and I wish that worked. But that's not even the case, right? Like every button on an email is actually a link. It's an anchor. It's not a button uh, because buttons don't work on email. So things like that where I'm like, uh, I, I wish there was more love. The same way that the web evolved so much. I started with Flash, with ActionScript tree, and then HTML5 came in and, oh my gosh, it changed everything. And I remember playing with Canvas for the first time and I was like, wow, this is amazing. I love this thing. And then WebGL came in. I'm like, wow, WebAssembly. The web kept evolving, but email is still feels like, you know, it just stopped in time, which is crazy because so many people use it. They use it every single day. So yeah, I, w- I wish there were more love in that industry as a whole. It, and it doesn't feel like that's the case at all. Yeah, it's one of the challenging things with like a proliferation of clients. So so there are just a lot of different email clients. Somebody might be reading their email in the terminal. You, you know, like that's a, probably not an advisable thing, but they might be doing it. And, you know, it's just like it just an interesting challenge. Whereas like I, I think that we are fortunate that the industry has rallied around the web in a way and like been able to push forward standards and like make progress. I'm glad that because there was a period when the web felt like for a little while that it was going to stagnate that like we weren't going to be able to get anything through like the this is like kind of a winter in, in javascript world for sure but it's like we're just like stuck in this like weird version of javascript uh, but it, it is cool to both see that happen and and you're right uh, hopefully we'll get some uh some better better email clients out there maybe who knows so let's let's transition to talk about recent. So you 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 mentioned kind of what it is uh, a layer to send emails that you've made with uh, React email, but tell us more about the service and and what it offers and and why people should use it. I think a lot of the reasons why we built Resend were around removing friction. <clears throat> I remember setting up an a new account on Postmark, and then they ask on the signup form for me to use my work email. And that's such a silly friction for most folks. They're like, oh yeah, just, I'm just going to put my work email. That's fine. Only that by itself already bothers me because I know that the moment I put my work email, they're going to use clear bits and get my job title. And then from my job title, they're going to route me for their sales team 
and oh oh this person has an executive title let's put a salesperson to like send all these follow-up emails for the next three weeks uh just to like try to sign up them and i've always hated like those little things like that that people do uh and the same experience when i was using ses on aws where I set up an account and then to move to production, I need to wait like two to three days to get a verification comfort, like a manual human. Like they come in, they review this whole form that you have to fill out. And I'm like, what? Like, I just want to send an email. It shouldn't be that hard. Like, why do I need to go through this thing? Um, so a lot of it just came from that frustration of like, no, that's not how products should work. Products for developers, like you need to build something where on a Saturday afternoon, as a dad, I only have like an hour or two to play around with something. And then my daughter is running around. I'm playing on my computer. And then I'm like, oh, there's a new service. Let me sign up. And then you see that landing page. You're like, okay, this looks good. And then you create an account. You try to send the first API call. And then it works. You're like, oh, this is nice. And then you look at the docs, you can do something a little bit more advanced. And then you're like, oh, this is nice. So and we, when you have that feeling, then Monday morning, you come in at work. And then you're like, hey, guys, you talk to your team. You go on Slack. You share the thing you built. Maybe you're already integrated with something uh, uh, on, on your side project. And now you're doing something for work. And I feel like that's how, that's my, that's the way I do things. I don't know if everybody does that, but that's how I feel. And the opposite is also true, right? If I see a, a, a new product coming up and then I go to their website and it's confusing and then I try the API, I get an error right away. And then I go to the docs, there's a typo. So now, like, I, I'm, I'm not going to share that with my friends. I'm not going to talk about it Monday morning with my team. So that's, like, the, the basis of what we're trying to build, just a better product for this specific audience. And we were very thoughtful about like, what is the API to send an email? It, it should be simple. You should experience sending an email in the first 10 seconds of signing up. And in the beginning, we had like five steps on the onboarding process. Like one of them was configure your own domain. So then you go to Cloudflare, you add all these DNS records, and it takes like a few hours for the DNS to propagate. We're like, no, no, let's remove it. Okay, now there are four steps, now there are three now today we have like two steps so that's what we're trying to do just a better way to send email an easier way and just a product that when you use it you're actually excited to use uh i remember when i use sendgrid whenever i start it's not even i don't know if you have that feeling with some products that you use but i open my browser and i always use command l to select the the nav bar and I start typing the moment I start typing I already start feeling either happy or frustrated I'm like ah oh, okay I'm gonna have to use this thing I'm like oh, I know the login page will take like three seconds to load they're gonna like ask me this MFA that it only works with SMS because Twilio bought SendGrid and now they're pushing that and then after I, I confirm only SMS then I there's this huge banner on how I should send SMS. I don't want to send an SMS. I just want to send an email. Uh, so like, there's just like, uh, 
I want to build a product that doesn't feel that way. And yeah, I just want to use something that I, I would enjoy using as a user. So that's the foundation of everything that we do. It needs to be fast. It needs to be slick. It needs to be, you know, we need support for all these different languages, just like Dracula, where we have support for all of these different apps. We need SDKs. Like we live in an SDK first world. It's not an API first world. There's a huge difference in, in the way we consume APIs today than we used to consume years ago. So there was just like, for, for me, a lot of things that we could do to make that whole space better. Yeah. And it really shows on your website. Like the docs are just like, for even for like React email, which is like the side project to the company, like the docs there are immaculate. You tell how to like even integrate with your competitors. So like you're, you're, you're not even trying to sell yourself too much. You're just like, yeah, we, we, we maintain this also. We recommend you use it. So like, it, it's nice to see that. And then another note on Polish, your guys' homepage is, is beautiful. Uh, that animation you guys did with the Rubik's Cube, very <laughs> nice. Uh, what, what, why a Rubik's Cube? I have to know. Are, are you a Rubik's Cube kid? I definitely am. And I have <laughs> one here right in front of me. <laughs> nice. That's amazing. And I keep like just rotating it. Whenever I'm in a meeting, I keep just like playing around with it. Uh, but it's interesting how... Uh, when you're building a website, like imagine like if that's your company, right? Like this is the most important website uh, ever for you. And then like there's so much room in the screen and then you choose to like use the most important real estate you have as a company. And you put like half of that, that first load, half of it is a Rubik's Cube that is rotating. Why, dude? <laughs> like, there's no, like, why are you doing that? And the reason was because we wanted to send a message, a message that, hey, if you care about the technical details, we care about it too. If you care about like modern technology, we care that, about that too. If you care about polish and, and design, if that's a value that you hold, this is the place for you. And th this is not what are you used to? Like, this is not Mailgun. Like, if you want that vibe, if you want to schedule a demo, you can go there and, and good luck. Like, uh, you know, that's fine. Uh, but if you just want to have a great experience, that's for you. And we could write a whole manifesto page about it. Like, oh, we hear our values. We care about the details. Like, but, or we can just demonstrate it. And I feel like that's what that Rubik's Cube does. It demonstrates these values without saying a word. And <clears throat> I very much love that cube. And I'm so happy. Like it's built with Spline, which then exports to WebGL. And uh, it's just like now it's just a, a thing that people know us about. Even if they don't remember the name recent, they're like, oh, yeah, the website with the Rubik's Cube. Yeah, I, I know those guys. It is, it is fascinating how just like a little bit something a little bit above and beyond really can set you apart though. And it like can, can tell a good story. And I, I see some consistency here with the storytelling aspect. Even with your personal brand, right? I, I feel like we buy from people. We don't buy from other companies. So you, when you're using Vercel, of course you use Vercel because of how amazing it is and all the ecosystem and the stability, but you also love using Vercel because you like Guillermo Rauch's tweets. And you like the work that Lee Rob does, uh, you know, and that's the reason why so many people bought Teslas in 2020, you know, uh, they 
just they they felt connected to Elon Musk. And there's that thing where the founder brand and the company brand, they kind of mix together and they need to be consistent, right? So if you go to my personal website and it's this super ugly website with all of these outdated posts, that's not going to translate. It's like there's something off here. Maybe they're hiding something. Maybe they hired a good designer, but they don't really care about the details. It's just like something they're trying to sell. Uh, and the opposite is also true, right? Like you go to my personal website and it's amazing. You go to the company's website and it's super bad. So like, uh, our, like the values doesn't seem to be aligned. So I think about that a lot, like how those two worlds connect and how people consume things these days. I feel like there's, there, there was a shift there, you know, uh, of, you know, even like from the Steve Jobs times where people are like, yeah, of course, Apple is amazing for many reasons, but they also wanted to feel the the genius of Steve Jobs as they were using products that were built by him and his team. So we've talked about uh, like why writing emails themselves is hard, but I have this open source library. Why can't I just send those emails myself? Uh, I know it's a little disingenuous because I know sending email at that scale is hard. So like, what are some of the challenges that come with like actually facilitating like probably the millions of emails that you've sent so far? Yeah, no, it's so fascinating because if I knew everything that I know now, I would probably never start uh, recent. Like there's just so much work uh, that goes uh, on on making like the email arrive on your inbox uh, versus not, you know? So there's definitely a lot of things that we we've been learning around sending emails at scale, like millions and millions of emails every month. And of course, you can set up your own SMTP server and and send it for your Linux machine. There's a lot of things around the different authentication methods. So there are things uh, like DKIM, SPF, DMARC. Those are things that you need to make sure that you're adding those headers to every single email that you're sending. And then there are things around just complying with rules and and uh, things that might change from country to country. Like if you're sending promotional emails in the US, you need an unsubscribe button and you need to include like the physical mailing address, which it's a little bit weird, right? Like adding that, it feels so, yeah. what? Like, do I really need this? Uh, but that helps with deliverability. So email is very much a team sport where to get amazing deliverability, you need a very strong foundation and platform to support you. And you need good content, a warm-up audience, a good IP. So there's a lot of things. Like if you think about reputation for email, you can go on the domain level, on the subdomain level, on the actual IP, and then you can choose to buy a dedicated IP, and then you need to warm that IP as well. And just recently, like three days ago from the moment we are recording this, early uh, February, both Gmail and Yahoo Mail, they've made changes to the way uh, emails are like sent. So if you don't include a one-click unsubscribe header, they might just send you to the spam folder. So there's just like many of these details that 
if you are not in the email world, it's going to be very hard for you to not just land on spam right out of the gate. Um, so I would definitely recommend folks to try something that is already uh, built for you before you start rolling out yourself. But it's like one of those things where sometimes if you want to see how things are made, you can do that yourself too, right? Like, oh, I want to roll my own off instead of using off zero or clerk. That's great. Go for it. You know, uh, I'm sure you're going to learn a lot about security and authentication and data privacy by doing that. Um, so yeah, it, it really depends what you're trying to do, what scale you are in and, and everything. Yeah, it's a completely foreign technology stack to me. All, every acronym you said, I did not recognize one of them. <laughs> and like I was doing some some research about like doing emails for this podcast and I came upon like warming and I was like, "Wait, you have to you have to warm things up? Like there's so many like weird rules and behaviors you have to do to like be a good email sender." It's wild. It's so wild. It seems like there's like maybe two sides of the story. So there is the like provider you're like actually sending the emails. And I saw this, uh, I was reading this thing on Hacker News a while back where somebody was talking about running their own SMTP server. And they're talking about how like Google can just mark you as spam and like everything coming from your thing is now just going to spam. Like doesn't matter who it's being sent to. If they have a Gmail account, it's going straight to spam. And it's like, so there are rules that you have to uh, apply, you know, to follow for them. But I, I imagine that the tricky thing here is like the content that is being included in the emails that you send, like counts for or against your platform too. So it's like there have I'm assuming you have to do some sort of like validation. Be like, oh, you're sending this to the US. It has to be have an unsubscribe button. Or like maybe there's things that you can do to add that on top. But like it seems seems tricky, right? It's super tricky, especially because we're talking about an industry that has a long history of abuse. Uh every single day. And I'm I'm tell I'm talking about like every single Saturday, every Sunday, over Christmas, during New Year's Eve, we we were seeing people trying to attack recent. They still do every single day. And they try to send phishing emails, they try to send spam, and we have all sorts of controls to avoid that. And then some we simply cannot catch before they send. And then we learn, we adapt. And that's just like a constant mouse and rat chase. Uh, it's something that it, it's incredible. Like how, and there are things that we could do, like, for example, let's scan every single email that is sent, right? And then let's see, maybe let's run chat TPT on every single email so we can see the message and then maybe give it a score based on all these different rules. But then you got to think about the cost of doing those things the how much you're adding in terms of overhead for time to inbox that's a metric that most people are not familiar with but in the email world depending on which type of emails you're sending that's super important right imagine you go to uh, devtools.fm and then there's a magic link authentication there if that email doesn't get to your inbox in like one or two seconds your mind already goes somewhere, you open a new tab, now you forgot about you know what you're doing. And then after you go there to your email again, then the the link expired and now you're like, ah, oh, I have to do this again. And then so like 
the time it takes for the API request to be triggered from the time it takes for Gmail to process their antivirus check and then finally decide to place you in the primary inbox or the promotional tab or the spam folder, you have to take all of that in consideration till finally you can um, see that email landing. So it's a bit, but you know, there's some emails that you don't need that. Like if you're sending an email blast, like, hey, new episode is up, right? Like, that's fine. You can like maybe scatter that email sending throughout the day. Maybe you can even optimize for specific time zones and all the users on the East Coast are going to get at a specific time, all the users. Maybe you do by user where you send on their time zone, uh, optimize for the time that they're going to open. So there's just a lot that goes into it. And then there's link tracking and open tracking. Uh, It's a huge, huge, like, black box uh and some informations are available to us and some aren't right like the way gmail does things um the way yahoo does things it's like you never really it's like the google search algorithm like you never really know how they they place things there's very few information online so you mentioned earlier that you support a bunch of different platforms uh you support javascript of course but then you have things like java python elixir php but something I noticed was that the only one that really supports the React email style of emailing seems to be like Next.js. Do you have plans to bring those primitives to other platforms too? I'm so glad you brought it up. Uh, it it shows that you really looked into it uh, because that's something that people ask a lot. Uh, and that's true. Like the the transforming of JSX to HTML only happens in the Node SDK. So we don't really offer that for Ruby or Python and other languages. And that's something that frustrates folks because they're like, I want, I, my front end is in React. I want to build that email in React, but I want to send, like, this is a, we're talking about a, a backend solution, right? I want to send it through uh, my Ruby SDK. So why can't I do that? And we're trying to figure that out. Uh, It's probably going to involve a solution where you're going to define that template in the dashboard online, and then you're going to reference that template instead, instead of having it on your source code. Because then transpiling that based on every single language, it's a little bit hard. We would have to embed maybe like Node into the, the SDK or... Just like, I don't know if you remember like SAS, uh, that the, the CSS thing, like that was always a pain, right? Like you need that binary to be able to convert. Uh, if you're in the Node.js ecosystem, like you needed that Ruby thing. So um, we want to avoid doing that, but we need a, a solution that helps everybody. So for now, what we tell people is like, oh, if you want to use that, you can still use React email but then you got to render to HTML first and then you send the HTML, which not ideal. It's another build step, but you can, you can still do it. That's not too bad though. That seems like a, a reasonable expectation. Uh, so you recently wrapped up uh, Resend Forward uh, where you and your team added a bunch of features. Could you uh, give us some highlights of what came out of that? Yeah, that was our version of a launch week, the second one that we ran in it was very nice because we spent the whole 2023 focused only in one specific use case, which is 
transactional emails. So we are only focused on reset password, welcome emails, those emails that are one-to-one, -one, where as a user, you request something, you get that information back. That could be like a weekly digest as well, like but things that are very tailored uh, for you as a user. But we we were hearing a lot from folks that they would come to us and say, hey, I absolutely love Resend for my transactional emails, but then I got to use something like MailChimp or whatever other tool to use my marketing emails. But, I, you know, like maybe I'm, I'm just like you guys. We're like, hey, I have this side project. I don't want to use two tools. Like it's not like I have a team of marketers, a team of developers. I just want to use one thing. I wish I could send emails straight from recent marketing emails, newsletters, change logs. And as a user, again, that was the, the pain that I was feeling. As the CEO of Resend, every month I wanted to talk about the things we shipped. And I had to run this super hacky script to, to do that. And I hate it. I'm like, wow, this is the worst experience ever to send an email. Uh, I have to loop through like an entire contact list and then send it. It's so bad. So we're like, no, no let, let's fix this. So we, we created like a proper editor. But again, looking from that problem from a different angle. So one angle could be like everybody does. It's so it, a drag and drop experience. You have all the components on the right, just like HubSpot. Like you drag this and then you make changes. Or we're like, is that the, the altering experience that people want in 2024? Uh, no, they love using things like Notion and those slash commands and being developers love to do things that are keyboard first. Like they, they want shortcuts. They want, they don't want to touch the trackpad or the mouse. Let's avoid that as much as possible. When you're copying markdown, it needs to work. Like it's not a option. Uh, if you're writing content on Google docs, once you, based the content it needs to work. We need to bring all that formatting. We can't just ignore it. So that's how we approach it. So this whole uh, recent forward, this whole launch week was around unveiling this, this other use case uh, of being able to send newsletters and, uh, and all these other things. So it was super cool. Like I had a blast and we also launched uh, light mode, which was a huge, like everybody was asking for it. Uh, so uh, and then when we did, everybody was complaining that we launched uh, Lightfoot, like how how a company can do that. And, and uh, so you're never going to please uh, people. It's just like super yeah, hard. I, I, saw, I saw people <laughs> guys ship for doing light mode. And I was like, that's the opposite problem that people usually have. Usually it's dark mode. Was, <laughs> you're so developer centric. You, you took dark mode on first. <laughs> um, so you guys shipped a lot of cool features during that week, uh, but we, we got lots a year ahead of us. So what are you guys planning to release in the upcoming year? I feel like there's still a lot that we can do to be this one-stop shop for all of your email needs. Um, if you're building a SaaS product, um, you probably experienced this thing where there's a lot of people trying to abuse your free tier, for example, and they use Mailnator and all these other solutions to create disposable emails. And then they try to uh, just exploit your free tier. You know, we want to have verification APIs where you can send an email address and then tell you back, like, here's the risk score of that email. We think maybe you, you're not a good idea to send an email to this address because it's uh, not that good. And then that's connected also to deliverability and, and 
in box placement uh, as a as a whole. And then things like receiving emails too. Uh, I want to be able to you know create a support system, let's say, where I send email, like I, I can receive emails and I can reply to that same thread. Uh, so just empowering that use case. Like today, we are very much like the platform for you to send. So you can do that using our Superbase integration, our SMTP server, our APIs, all of our SDKs. But we don't have the ability to do that for receiving emails. So we want to improve that as well. So one of the questions that we like to ask at the end of our episodes is always a forward-facing question. And I think the, the question here is, is pretty obvious, but what do you think the future of email is? I feel like there's been a lot of, and again, just drawing a parallel uh, as an individual observing this space, right? I use a lot of Slack these days. I have I get a lot of alerts from Slack. I got a lot of text uh, from social media, DMs on social media, but I would never would want to rely only on those for people to communicate with me. I really love the fact that email is this cornerstone of the web. Like that's a like to sign up, you need that. Uh, you need a, this address. So I hope to see emails too to be doing that role of like, you know, being this place where I can have access to anyone and anyone can have access to me. Uh, if you want to talk to me, if you're listening to this right now, you can send an email to zeno at recent.com. That's beautiful for me. And there's no algorithm to place that for me to get that message or not. Like, like I'm going to get that message. So I feel like there's something beautiful about that. And I just want to see that going. I don't have any, I wish there was better support. I wish, you know, like all these other things uh, around email clients. Um, but more than anything, I, I, I just hope it continues to be here because it's so useful. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it would be, be sad it. to go the way of RSS. Like RSS kind of falls in the same bucket of like, great technology, decentralized, user-centric that just over time kind of like deteriorated into like what it is today, which is like just not a very good experience. It's fascinating, right? Like what happened with that? Like it's, yeah, there's there's definitely a, a lesson there for us to learn. Yeah, I think emails may be a little bit different because it's like, a, it's not just a pull model, it's a push model, right? So uh, there's a... Well, I mean, you could say that RSS has a push because you're publishing thing to it, but like a little bit different, right? <laughs> uh, I think, you know, spam has always been the big problem of email. And then one of the things I'm really interested in is like, does Google stay on top? Does Gmail mm -hmm. stay at the forefront of how people do email? Or does that change? Be interesting to see. With that, let's move on to tooltips. My first tool tip of the week is worker pool. So recently I was doing a, a task where at Descript where I had to delete 300,000 projects and I did it all through the API and I wanted to do it as fast as possible. So I was looking for a bunch of tools that would help me do it as fast as I could. Uh, one way to make your Java, your node code run a little bit faster is to spin up different workers to do the same task. Uh, actually doing that uh, was like in like orchestrating that and figuring out how many workers I could run at the same time was a lot more detailed than I wanted to get into. So I found this cool little uh, library called worker pool that has 
a nice API that makes it all super easy. You just, you start a pool, uh, you add functions to call into the pool, and then you wait for it to terminate. And it figures out all the stuff of like actually spawning the workers, uh, figuring out how many of them they, it can run at once. So if you're looking for something to do a task like this, uh, definitely give it a, a try. But it, it definitely makes you think that JavaScript is not the right language to be doing stuff like this in if it's like kind of so many hoops I have to jump through to do it. That might be a fair assessment, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we have esm.sh slash run. Yeah. So this was a really interesting little discovery. So it's just a it's just like a little script that you can basically use to write JSX and TSX in an HTML file, um, which is kind of fun. So uh, esm.sh is the the sort of ESM CDN. Uh, and this is just like a little tool that they they released. So it's like if you want to have this experience of, uh, yeah, of writing uh, JSX in your thing, you just literally include a script tag in the HTML. And it's like uh, esm.sh slash run. And then you use JSX in your HTML file. And, and it just works. And <laughs> it's kind of mind-blowing. Um, so, yeah, it's fun. Uh, look, ma, no build step. Yeah. The, the, the text slash JSX is the special thing there, right? So they have like a special uh, type. So that means it doesn't get interpreted as like regular JavaScript. Uh, so when that is parsed, it doesn't do anything, but then their JavaScript comes through and like finds it and then replaces it. Very clever. Kind of fun. Another win for the no build step community. Yes. Up next, our previous sponsor, Raycast. Oh, really? That's nice. I absolutely love the team behind Raycast, and I absolutely love the tool. Um, I have this repo. Uh, if you look on my personal GitHub account, there's a this repo called uh, Alfred Workflows. So for years, I've used Alfred, and I was a big fan of Alfred. If you search my name, smash, and you put it like Smashing Magazine Alfred, <laughs> like I wrote a whole article about like all the things I love about Alfred and the things you could do. Uh, and somehow Raycast was able to convince me to move to, to their tool instead. And I'm super hooked. Our whole team uses it. It helps us a lot with support. For example, we have like all sorts of uh, snippets that we collaborate and we share amongst the team. Uh, so it's just made my experience of using a launcher on macOS now to be a collaborative one. And it's just so exciting. And if you use Dracula, there's a Dracula theme for it. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, Rickhouse is so good. It's so good. And it's fun to watch their Twitter-driven development when somebody will just be like, I have a problem on my Mac. And then the Raycast team's like, a few days later, here's an extension to solve your exact problem. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. My next tool tip is a bunch of packages. So uh, Sindra Sorehouse is the, the biggest developer in the JavaScript space. And he has come up with a crazy amount of promise packages. Like this list literally has like probably like 50 different packages on things to do with promises. And if you're doing any scripts, like I was mentioning earlier, where you might be hitting an API 300,000 times as fast as possible, and you might be getting uh, rate limited and all these different things, you might even be breaking the API. I might've done that. 
these libraries will help you out a lot. So I use PQ, which is just a really simple library to make a queue, add some promises to it, and uh, wait for it to run them in chunks so you don't like just blast your system or blast the network with all these different API calls. And then another one I used in here was pretry, which just does an automatic exponential back off for a promise, which is really nice. So I could send off my, my request, it might fail, and then to retry once or twice, then it would go through. So if, you've, if you want some like nice lower level things to uh, use with your promise-based code, I would definitely give out give a check to the promise fun repo on Cinder Soulhouse's GitHub. I've definitely used multiple of these over the over the years. This has been around for a little while. Yeah. They're they're quality. Yeah. I knew of the P dash packages, but I think I had only seen like maybe half a dozen of them. I did not know there were like <laughs> 30 to 50 of them. <laughs> yeah, I've only used PQ uh, on that list. Same as like P retry looks amazing. I doubt, like now I'm like, oh yeah, I should definitely use that. Yeah, I had I had my own implementation that I like carried around with me between repos called Chunk Promises. That was like a much shittier version of PQ. <laughs> and then I realized, oh, that's what that that package name means. I'll use that now. Yeah, yeah. Next up, we have Action Forge. Uh, this is a really interesting project. It's just somebody I was following on Twitter was like hacking on this thing. It's uh, it's GitHub workflows uh, in a visual editor interface. Uh, so if you've ever, you know, you ever do any CI stuff, it's like the CI world loves YAML. It's it's everywhere. It's unescapable. It's awful. Um, and GitHub Actions use use YAML, but this this Action Forge Forge is a it's a VS Code extension, and I think there's like a standalone thing. Um, but yeah, it displays your whole GitHub Actions orchestration workflow in this like visual node based editor. And the really, really cool thing is, is you can like edit it and it'll update your config. It's just really interesting because um, there are like a lot of really, there's a lot of small nuance things about like how you like return a value from one step to an action and like read it in another step. And it's like the the semantics of like how that works are a little just strange and like sometimes it doesn't work. And like, I don't know, there's just like a lot of stuff to learn and like try to remember and this just makes it pretty easy. So it's 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 just neat. It's fun. Plus, I love visual coding interfaces. So you know, it's... yeah, it's no fun to be lost in a thousand lines of YAML for a GitHub action. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my life since becoming cl client platform here at Descript, uh, it's all YAML now. <laughs> Next up, we have the package link check. Do you know when you go to a docs and there's a link and you click and it's a four hundred four. Uh, that's so frustrating. I hate going to any website and clicking on a link that doesn't work. So what I love about this package is that it's extremely simple. If you want to, I, I, I really think about docs as code. And when you think about docs as code, then you think about what's your CI CD strategy for docs. Uh, maybe you can add like a, there's a package called write good where they check your spelling you know like i'm not a native english speaker so that helps me a lot uh same with this you know you can check all of the links uh that you have on your docs and then if they don't return 200 you know great you can go and go ahead and fix it so highly recommend thinking about how you can make your links to work because they might work today but a year from now or two years from now then 
they might not be working anymore. So check that out. This is always such a subtle thing. The open sourcer in me is just like, I need to make a remark plugin for this right now. I, I want to put this in all my markdown. <laughs> Probably already exists. Yes, absolutely. Okay, my last tool tip of the week actually comes from the CEO Vercel himself. He made this cursed little project called React Postgres Components that actually runs React Server Components in V8 inside your Postgres database. Yeah, your, fa your face is right, Justin. That, that, is, that is what, what you should be doing. Uh, so you can make, yeah, exactly. So you make your RPC with your uh, React server components. You can run SQL. Uh, you don't need await. It's, this is running within your database. And then you can use those like regular React components. Uh, it does some crazy stuff under the hood that I don't quite understand, but I love the precedent it's setting of like what this is proving out. And at the bottom, they uh, they kind of like he walks through uh, what the inspiration is and why he would do it. And uh, I just I just find it really interesting. And I want to see what React server components are like in like three years when people have had time to like sit with them. The primitives have like matured a little bit and we start getting these like cooler things that we couldn't do before. It's pretty wild. Yeah, this is an interesting retake on like what it actually means for a React server component. We we talked in, in one of the last episodes where it's like it's not actually it doesn't actually mean that it's running on the server. Like it could just be running at build time and there's like a lot of different semantics to that. Uh, and this is I think another example. Yep. It's somebody else's machine. Yep. Uh, next up, we have this cool article about PartyKit from Sunil Pai. So uh, we had Sunil on the podcast a while back. Uh, you know, he's been doing a lot of great work on PartyKit, which is a WebSocket-like multiplayer framework, which is excellent. You should definitely check it out if this is a problem that you have. Uh, and he wrote this really great article that I, I just read today about uh, stateful uh, serverless functions. Um, so serverless functions are classically stateless, you know, it's just like, you're not, you're not persisting anything, but there's this notion that, and I, and I feel like we've all been sort of pushing towards this of like simplifying our primitives and thinking about things that like sort of, you know, I think, I think about how you were talking about resend and like, like removing all the friction and really just like focusing on the core value and getting there really fast and doing that. And I feel like we all are getting that way with our code, right? We just like want to get to the point. We don't want to deal with a lot of fluff. We would just like want to do the thing that's really important to us. And in this article, uh, Sunil is talking about how PartyKit does that with durable durable objects in Cloudflare and, and Cloudflare's platform. But it's just like, here's how you can like write a durable object in, in Cloudflare kind of just through PartyKit, right? But it like looks like a little kind of composed module. And uh, this has been on my mind a lot lately. It's just like this idea of like simple deployable code that's stateful, that's easy to reason about, that you can manipulate pretty quickly. Anyway, it's a, it's a great article. I definitely recommend you check it out. You know what I love the most about this article? The code blocks. <laughs> Are you using Dracula? <laughs> <laughs> Pulls it all back together in the end. <laughs> and then our last tool tip of the day, probably the most important tool tip we've discussed recently is this Lava Rock Essential Oil Diffuser. It looks really cool. Okay, check this out. I have this designer friend who is like super into designer objects, right? And then he gave me that as a gift. And I have it here sitting right next to me. Uh, 
And I'm like, wow, this is so crazy. Like a lava rock. What does it do? And it turns out it's a essential oil diffuser. So then every morning I come in and then I put like a little bit here and then like the whole environment changes, you know, I'm more calm. And that's the secret to, to building reset. <laughs> uh, like it's, it's just like a funny thing. Like I never thought that would even exist, but I got it as a gift and now I absolutely love it. Email does weird things to you. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, that wraps it up for tool tips this week. Thanks for coming on, Zeno. This was uh, such a fun conversation about email. Words I never thought I'd be saying, but thanks again for coming on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Justin. It was really nice uh, having this. I absolutely love the work that you all are doing here at DevTools FM. Uh, I feel like you're really bringing some like heavy heaters and like some people that I admire and that I take inspiration from. So keep rocking. This is, this is really good. Thanks. And, and happy to add you to that list because the work you've been doing is for a long time is excellent. And you know, this is, this is really cool. So thanks for coming on. 